Hello and thank you for listening to episode 365 of 60MW. I'm Dave. And I'm Tom. And this is a remastered interview show, another one that we've brought from the vaults of 80s Picture House. And this one is with Cheryl Baker from Box Fizz. And we're sat here, Tom, aren't we? We're on uh, Friday the 21st of May, just 24 hours before the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. Mate, it's come around again. It's here. It's finally here after two years of waiting. <laughs> it's time. One of my favourite nights of the year is almost upon us. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't join in with the usual cheese and wine fest that happens here, unfortunately, this year. But, um, yeah, hopefully everybody listening and uh, you yourself, mate, will, you know, have a few drinks for me while it's on. Certainly will. Good. That's good to hear. Uh, and of course, Eurovision, Bookspheres, it's the 40th anniversary this year of when they won it back in 1981. 40 years, oh my God, I can remember watching it. <laughs> wasn't, even, wasn't even born. Yes. Oh, damn it. Damn you. Uh, so we thought this is the perfect date to release this show with Cheryl Baker, who we had a great time with. We chatted to her in July 2014, so we're coming up to seven years ago since we had oh a chat God. with her. Doesn't seem that long ago, does it? Not at all. Not at all. It doesn't. And uh, as a little bonus for everybody, uh, in 2015, the beginning of 2015, I think it was around March time, uh, I got to see Box Fizz in Runcorn. And they were very kind enough to invite me backstage before the gig and had about a 10 to 15 minute chat with them, recorded it, and uh, and then stopped on and watched the gig. Which was, I remember you weren't going to see, you weren't going to stop on, and then they invited you. They, which yeah, was, they, that's really great of them. Oh, that was so nice of them. I was because you know I hadn't got tickets for the gig or anything. It was just a nip in and, and meet them. Recorded that, yeah. and uh, I'm so glad I did. Uh, and you know they made that very kind offer because it was an awesome gig. It was a really awesome gig. Uh, so anybody listening to this, uh, and people know me. Oh, it's Dave. He loves all rock music, heavy metal, and all of this. And you wouldn't think, Bucks Fizz. Oh, yeah. If, if you get the chance to see them live, go and see them. It's a cracking show. Um, and I thought, and you'll hear at the beginning of, of the little bit, at uh, the extra part that we're putting onto this, that I thought I'd lost the audio for quite a while. Eventually found it. And I think it was the March that I saw them. And then we released it. I think it was the October 2015. So thankfully found that. So, yeah, it's a, a nice double box fizz uh, celebration to celebrate 40 years since they won Eurovision and again as always with these shows uh, we do sound a bit different our recording equipment was different back then uh, and of course neither of us had gone through puberty so our voices sound very different too <laughs> I don't think anybody will believe that considering earlier I said four years ago I remember watching them win it so yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of shot myself in the foot with that one so yeah, sit back and have a, have a listen to me and Tom, have a chat with Cheryl and then me with the band. And hopefully, do you think, do you think the UK would have won Eurovision by the time this gets online, mate, and people are listening to it? No. You think it might I be think, nil point again? I think for, uh, maybe, I mean, I haven't heard the song. I never listened to the songs. Mm -hmm. um, I only, Same here. The first time I hear any country's Eurovision song is live yes. as it's. In the final, but um, I I can't see us for political reasons. I mean, most most of the time our songs are pretty shit, but <laughs> I, just politically, I can't see us winning for a long, long time to come. So shall we, as we sit here the night before Eurovision, uh, let's both let's both have a guess at where the UK will finish and see who finishes the closest. Then, where do you think we'll finish? In what position? 
So there's 30, isn't there? 30 countries. Mm. 23. 23. You know what, mate? I'm going to be... Oh, I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go 19. Oh, could that be a result? <laughs> <laughs> that would be... The whole of the UK would be out cheering. 19th, yes. What 19th. a win. Yeah, I'm being generous. 23. So. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. We will see. Uh, so, yeah, everybody, sit back, relax, get comfortable, and uh, have a listen now to me and Tom have a chat with Cheryl Baker. Hi, hi. It's Cheryl Baker here. You know, making your mind up and record breakers and anything else you can remember. And um, you've got to listen to me in a little while on the 80s picture house. Yay! Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the 80s picture house and the 34th of our In Conversation With series. I'm Dave and as always I'm joined by my fellow co-host Tom. Hello. And this evening, we're delighted to be chatting with a lady. Uh, well, she's not only conquered Europe, uh, she's seen many records being broken. And she's been one of my favourite entertainers since the first time I saw her back in the 80s. We're delighted to be in conversation with Cheryl Baker. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, we're, we're both excited to be talking to you tonight, Cheryl. Thank you so well, much for so joining lovely. us. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm well... just a person, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this started, this started on uh, Eurovision night a few months ago, and, you know, you were so kind, we started swapping tweets between us. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we'll go into some Eurovision. And I think um, that there may be some of your Eurovision history that maybe some of the listeners are not quite aware of, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that as well. Okay. Um, but I think it was the day of Eurovision, or maybe the day before, and I think um, yourself and Bucks Fizz, I think it was the one show. And you were appear. I know it was a live show because you were singing, making your mind up. Yes. And oh, well, when we did was Brotherhood of Man. Yes. So it was Brotherhood of Fizz. Yeah. Yes, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it got to the famous bit where you rip your skirts off, and your skirt didn't come off, and you were yes. having, you're having trouble. Now this is the one. No, thing... I didn't have trouble. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> there was no trouble. It was. Um, I'll tell you why it was because we did a shortened version, and so I expected the skirt ripping bit to come later on, and it was just literally, you know, we sang. If you want to see some more, and I carried on doing the dance routine, and then I go, <laughs> if ever you play it back, if you've got it recorded, I go, oh, oh, oh <laughs> because it's the realization that I've forgotten to, because we had to take our own skirts off because um, Mike struggled to take. Both our skirts off me and Jay, so yeah. we, um, yeah, we, we did our own. <laughs> well, this is the one thing I've always loved about you, though. You never seem to be phased by it. You know, no matter what happens, you always <laughs> seem so bu- bubbly and happy about everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on live television, going, oh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I get away with it, but somehow I do. <laughs> Now, let's start off at Eurovision then, but of course, we're not going to start off at the obvious place, which I'm sure you've talked about so many times, but it goes back to 1976 with, with Coco, doesn't it? That was the first song for Europe that I ever did, yeah. It did, I yeah. joined Coco in October, the first gig was October 1975. Um, I joined them late August and just rehearsed for a month or so, and then um, our first gig was in October, and then very shortly after that first gig, um, we were called into um, David Most's office. He was Mickey Most's brother. Mm-hmm. And Mickey Most was the, the Simon Cowell of the 70s. And um, 
I remember his, his saying was, do you want 10% of loads of money or do you want 100% of nothing? That was his, that was his sort of quote. <laughs> that, and, he, and he signed so many, so many artists, so many big artists of the day, and that was the deal they were on. But anyway, um, yeah, so we, we, we went up to his brother's um, office, David Most, and he asked us to sing this song that he'd written with a lady called Stephanie DeSykes. Um, and it was called Wake Up. Oh, no, maybe he didn't write it with her. Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, it was called Wake Up. And would we do the Song for Europe, which at that time was the first time since they did it, uh, like Clifford, you did a whole series and you chose the song. Mm-hmm. Olivia Newton-John did a series and you chose the song. So it was, it was um, really to write in and choose the song to represent the country. And this was the first um, Song for Europe uh, whereas you you had a dozen acts, all different, some groups, some solo artists. There was Frank Ifield and there was Tony Christie, um, and and a few you know us unknowns, and and it, and that went to a um, a jury vote instead of a public vote, and um, and we right up until the last vote. Um, for the Song for Europe. Song for Europe, by the way, that year came from, it was in March, and it came from the Royal Albert Hall, and it was huge. I mean, the the media coverage of it uh, was absolutely massive. It was front page of the Radio Times, and uh, and you know, like you have the runners and riders of the of the um, the, of the you know big horse races, whatever they are. Yeah. Horses. Horsing. Uh, <laughs> um, at that, it had the runners and riders of the song for Europe and photos of us all, and you can mark it as you you know go along. And and um, and we went up to the last boat, and then we lost by two points to Brotherhood of Man, who went on, of course, to win Eurovision with um, Sadie Kitty for me. So uh, yeah, that was that was early 1976. So my first television performance ever was from the Royal Albert Hall, live oh, wow. to millions of people. I know. Okay. Can you rem- can you remember what was what that was like? It must have been quite nerve wracking, uh, surely. I remember lots of things about it. I remember putting on my makeup, and I wore stage makeup at that time. It was pancake, and it was the darkest tan they had, and that's what <laughs> I used to wear on stage, simply because I followed what everyone else was doing. You know, it mm-hmm. was a bit. Um, you don't do it anymore, but back in the seventies. It, it was almost Victorian, you know, with the red dots in the corner of your eyes and that, uh, so that people could see your eyes better. It was strange, really. It was, it's not like that at all anymore. You wear makeup practically the same, apart from bolder, bolder eyes and bold lipstick. You wear the same kind of skin tone as you do in everyday life, really, yeah. nowadays. But then it was, as I say, I wore this pancake that was a dark tan. And I remember going into, into the, um, Makeup department at the Royal Albert Hall, and the girl there saying, "Would you mind awfully if I take your makeup off and start it again?" <laughs> like, I, felt, I felt really embarrassed, but I was very young. I mean, I was twenty-one, but I was I was twenty-one going on twelve. You know, I, I was really young and inexperienced, and uh, and they did my makeup for me. So that's the only time that from then on I did it myself. <laughs> so did you then think, well, this is it? This is like my my Eurovision. So, uh, experience finished now did you ever think that you'd be back and entering it again no 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 of course not i mean i did think that it was my childhood dream to win eurovision yeah and here i was competing to be in eurovision and i came second by two points so 
I thought that's about as close as anyone is ever going to get. Yeah. And so just carry on. And we did. Uh, actually, on the strength of coming second, we starred in a summer season that, that year, 1976, at Great Yarmouth. It was, uh, we were special guests, runners-up in this year's Song for Europe, Coco, you know, so it was mm-hmm. it was a very big deal oh, yeah. then to come second, whereas now it's, it's difficult to remember who came first. And second, <laughs> you know. But um, uh, so we carried on, we did the, the summer season, and then the next year, um, Terry Bradford, who was the writer and the sort of leader of our group, he put in another song, and I think I did some vocals on it or back in or something, and then the following year, of course, 1978, we entered the game as Coco, and mm. this time we won. Wow. And what was that like? To win Eurovision, to win your, to, to, to fulfil your ambition of representing your country in Eurovision was phenomenal. Um, our outfits were very outlandish. We were all dressed sort of in clown outfits, and I wore a gold leotard. <laughs> God, now those days are gone, to quote a bunch of song. Um, a golden leotard with feathers, plumes of feathers coming from the from the collar and and this royal cape. I mean it was it was it was very outlandish all the outfits. But you know, it was the seventies yeah. and and it kind of worked. And we won. We won the song for Europe and we went to Paris to do the Eurovision and uh and we failed miserably we were we came 11th which was the worst the uk had done at that time and then i felt so miserable i was so depressed because there was me you know with my childhood dream thinking wow i'm representing queen and country and you know it's like it's like an olympic gold but for music to win you know the eurovision song contest and we failed so miserably and i was really on the downer after that I, i was really depressed um, and it wasn't really that long after that I left. It just took, I mean, we had an album on the strength of it, and the single got to number something in the top 20. It was 13 or 14 or something, 15 mm-hmm. in the top 20, and we did Top of the Pops, and, you know, it was great, yeah. but it was, it was disappointing as well because literally because I was representing the country, and I, I'm such a... I'm so, so pro, you know, my homeland and royal family I'm, I'm i'm that's where i am you know so i just felt that i'd let everybody down but of course now if we came 11th we'd, we'd be <laughs> hanging out the bunting wouldn't we, <laughs> yeah, we so, so to, to perform and in the eurovision you know to miss it by two points in the song for europe and then to get the chance to perform in it two years later and i thought well this is it this is my second chance and yeah. it's gone you know and so you know to do it a third time was just crazy. It was almost like whoever was looking after me was going, no, we've got to keep going until we get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the chain of events then that took you to your third time there? I was very disillusioned with Coco. It was becoming too much business and not enough, not enough music for me. And we were, there were a few silly little niggly arguments and, um, and I just thought, oh, I've had enough of this. And I've had enough of being told what to do. I love singing. I really love singing, but I'm not enjoying this anymore. So the album that we did um, was at a studio called Mayfair Sound in South Moulton Street in London. And so I went up to South Moulton Street and I said, give us a job. And they went, 
why? And I said, I've had enough with Coco, I'm leaving. So I left them. Went to, got the job in South Morton Street and I, I worked the um, telephone system and the uh, I, I typed their letters because uh, that's what I was trained as. I was trained as a secretary before I was a singer. Oh, okay. And I was a, a backing singer if anyone needed any BBs. So, and while I was there, uh, Nicola Martin, who put Bucks Fizz together, came in, knew me from being in Coco, and she said, why are you here? And I said, I've left Coco. So she just logged it. She kept it in her head. That, that This was about October, November. And in the, in the January, or just, just before New Year, um, I had a phone call, and my mum said, "Oh, someone rang you, Ray. It's my real name, Rita. Someone rang you, Ray. Um, Nicola, Nicola Martin, or something." I went, "Oh, well, don't worry about it." So I didn't ring her back. I didn't particularly like her, <laughs> and so I thought, well, "I'm not going to ring her." And I left it. And I think it was New Year's Day that I had another phone call, and this time it was Andy Hill who wrote Making Your Mind Up, and he rang, and I was there. And he said, um, Nicola thought that you'd be ideal for this group, and would you like to come down and have a listen to it? I went down, it was very early January, I went to Fulham, and uh, she opened the door, and coming down the stairs, there was a staircase facing the front door, and coming down the stairs was this absolute Adonis, this tanned, beautiful body, muscular in all the right places, <laughs> the most stunning, chiselled face, and all he had on him was a white, fluffy towel that was hanging just below his <laughs> belly button, and it was Mike Nolan. Wow. And, and I thought, wow, blimey, he's good. <laughs> anyway, we went into their, their lounge area, and um, uh, Andy played the song for me on the piano, and he said, what do you think? And I went, well, it's all right. I said, it's, it should be well in Eurovision. It's not a song for Europe, because it was obviously a song for Europe first. I didn't like it. I still don't like it. It's not my type of music at all. Mm-hmm. But I could see how it would do well in a competition, because it was very upbeat and perky, you know. Yeah. And Nicola, whether I liked her or not, had a very good idea about how to put a band together. She built the band around Mike. Mike, Mike was the, the crux of so we all had to be fairly short and blonde and be able to dance and sing a bit um, and so they asked me would I be interested and I said yes and then they did the same I think Jay came to a dance agency and Bobby came to an advert in the stage and we just got together I think it was something like the 11th of Jan in 1981 and uh, maybe a few you know maybe a few days earlier but <laughs> we were literally it was a Sunday I remember and and we were all in a room on our own, the four of us, not knowing what to say because we were complete strangers. And Nicola came in and said, okay, you four, you want our boxes? And that was it. <laughs> wow. That's how it started. I'm writing on this. is almost like I'm reading it because I've, I've been writing my, my um, autobiography. And this is just how I've written it in the book. So <laughs> oh, brilliant. I want to buy it now. They've all heard it on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, when's your autobiography due out then? Let's. let's... I can just whiz it away and I'm really fast and I love it and I, I love the creativity of it. 
but it's actually getting me to sit down and start it. Yeah. That's my problem. It's like when you exercise, <laughs> the most difficult bit is putting your, putting your tracksuit bottoms on. And oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, you'll have to let us know then when, it, you know, when the... Oh, the everyone will know, don't worry. I can, <laughs> I can make sure everybody knows. <laughs> it's been going on a long time and, I, and there's, you know, because my life is going on and I'm doing other things, um, that these are extra chapters and yeah. so I need to finish it at some point because otherwise it'll be like war and peace. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to do a second one as well. That's the only thing. You're just going to have to finish it and then do a second one too. You know, it makes you laugh when you see... Um, sort of young stars now and I understand why they're releasing they're releasing an autobiography is because they've been told to and that's okay but you know when they're releasing an autobiography and they're 12 <laughs> so you haven't had a laugh yet and then if you're Katie Price you're on sort of autobiography number 69 and you know it's, oh anyway <laughs> if people buy them they're going to keep you keep writing well, exactly they? exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I remember vividly watching uh, the 81 Eurovision uh, obviously, what well, I don't know what it's like. What was it like when, you know, you win after everything that you've just said and you've tried and failed and you got so close and it's something you've always wanted to do. What was it like when, you know, you eventually get, you know, I've won this, I've won this thing. Uh, it was disbelief. Um, and I remember distinctly Mike Nolan saying, that's it, we've won, we've won, before the last vote because um, we were given eight points and it meant that, we would we would beat um, Germany, no matter what Germany got, we would have beaten them. So I think that's how Mike worked it out. Mm-hmm. And I remember Terry, Terry Wogan saying, I think that's it, I don't think they can be beaten. But I thought they were wrong. And all the cameras were over on um, Lena, I think her name was, the German girl who was second. And literally, when it finished, and they said, that's it, all the cameras went on Lena. So I thought, well, obviously, she's she's won, and everyone who's jumping up and down here is wrong. And then the camera um, followed Mike, Jay, and Bobby as they run down the the aisle towards you know the stage, and I'm nowhere to be seen. And I I don't know what I was doing, but I think probably I was going, no, you're wrong. It's, we haven't won. <laughs> I don't honestly remember. It's that weird state of shock. That, uh, that your brain can't handle, um, you know, and, and I, that's honestly what I think. And when I went out onto the stage, it's just, it was just so weird. And I just wanted to be home with my mum and dad. Um, it's very strange. And I, I, I literally, we were, we didn't belong to ourselves then, immediately. You know, we were stood on a pedestal and we had to keep going around so that all the photographers could take their photos and, and interviewed by everyone and its mother and, you know, and I just wanted to get away. I just wanted to get home or get back to the hotel because we were in Dublin and ring home in Bethnal Green and talk to my mum and mm-hmm. to, to, because I needed reality. I needed a I needed a smack on the back in the face to wake me up because I thought this isn't happening. This is not real. Um, it was really weird and, and I did eventually after it must have been two or three hours get back to the hotel and talk to home. And and the screaming, I I lived in a council flat in Bethnal Green, and I was born there. And so all of the neighbours I'd grown up with, and my sister said, Oh, Rachel, it was amazing, and everyone (laughs) came out on the balconies, and all the windows driving. There were three blocks of flats, and and everybody was dancing up and down, because I I was one of them. 
you know, and I'd won the Eurovision Song Contest, which, as I say, is like, like winning a gold medal. Um, well, it is a gold medal, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, if you just get one instead of four. But um, <laughs> which Mike <laughs> Nolan has got, by the way. Do you know what he said? What? He said, don't worry, Cheryl, you're in my will. You'll get it when I die. <laughs> oh, I said, but it's not yours. <laughs> it's ours. But anyway, that's another story. Um, yeah, so that was that was my experience. And I, we flew home the next day on the Sunday after loads of press again. And I just, we landed at Heathrow. I came through into the arrivals lounge. There was all of my family. They'd made banners. They were playing the cassette because there was no such thing as a CD. Uh, and I just fell on the floor weeping like a baby. And my dad pushed his way through. It's my girl, it's my girl. And, you know, and that was that was my smack in the face that I needed. I needed to be home. I needed I needed to see my mum baking, like cooking the Sunday roast and and just doing things normal. I needed to be reminded that this is actually real and this is real life and, you know, you're not dreaming. Oh, yeah. And then, but at the time, though, when you when you were performing, had you any idea how sort of iconic, not just within Eurovision, but within your culture, really, but the, the, the skirt ripping would be? No. No, I didn't have a clue. And it came by by accident. We were, oh my God, the amount of meetings we had. We had meetings about how many meetings we had. It was, honestly, it was the meetings. They drove us mad. But we had one meeting about the clothes. And Jay Aspen has a really good idea about costume and was responsible for a lot of our costumes. And she still is in the band that we work in now, you know. So um, we were talking about the costume and, and the style of the song and the style of the clothes to go with the song. And I think Nicola, um, who put the group together, had the idea that we should wear um, primary colours because they're very striking, you know, mm-hmm. each of us in a different colour. Um, and But Jay, because Jay was so tiny, she was, I don't know, seven stone maybe, really tiny and uh, a lot smaller than me. And um, she wanted to wear a, a little miniskirt. And I didn't because I've always, I love my legs from the knee down. I've always hated them from the knee up. Oh. I look like I reminded, I used to say I've got Bobby Moore's legs. He's got to be oh, old no. Bobby Moore. But he was, you know, he's a little chunky footballer. And that's, <laughs> and my legs are the little chunky legs. And uh, and so I didn't want to wear a short skirt. And so we were to and fro about, is it rockabilly where it's knee length or is it uh, 1960s Mary Quant style mini skirt? And this argument and discussion was going on and on and on. I went, oh, let's have both. <laughs> and Chrissy Wickham, who was our, um, our choreographer, went, that's it. Perfect. She said, and on the line, if you want to see some more, you take the top one off. And so that's how it was born, purely by accident, and did, as you say, become the most iconic moment in um, in Eurovision history, probably. Oh, yeah. In, Without in... blowing my own trumpet, well, I, no. I do think so. I mean, it does. even though they take off practically everything now, or they do whatever they can <laughs> to be extreme, it all started with a bit of Velcro. Wow, that's amazing. Because, you know, I would say it's not even just Eurovision history. It's like music history, too. It's... Yeah, yeah. And the cheer. I mean, we still do it. We did a rewind last weekend in, mm-hmm. in Perth, in Scotland. Uh, and we're doing Jack Up the 80s um, weekend up the next. And, and, you know, the skirt, as soon as the skirt comes off, the cheer that goes up is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it must be Even such at a... our age. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's got to be such a great feeling, though, you know, to when something like that happens and you get the big cheer from the crowd. Oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. It really is. It's a, it's a great feeling. And and there's such love for us now and there's such warmth, you know, and because of the nostalgia, you know, when you go to the rewinds, the here and now, the 80s night, weekends and things like this, it's... Um, it's not all people in their 40s and 50s. You know, there's a lot of young people. My kids love 80s music. Mm. Um, and, and I just think that it's happy It's happy music. We arrived at Rewind last week, and Nick, um, Nick, not Kershaw, um, from uh, Haircut 100, Nick Hayward, yes. was singing Fantastic Day, and it was so happy. And I went, oh, this is great, you know. And then there was there was um, uh, Hall and Oates on, and and Go West, and mm. just some uh, Billy Ocean. And I just thought, wow, this music was just wonderful. And I, I know it, sounds, it makes me sound like an old fuddy duddy, but I do think that 80s music was fantastic. I think it lost its way a lot of the time in the 90s mm-hmm. and earlier in the 70s. I think there were there were periods when it all got a bit lost. Um. But in the 80s, it just had its feet. It did, yeah. I'm glad you said that because we've brought it up a few times on this show. And we've said one of the main things about like 80s music, like you said then, is just it was all happy. It was all about happy subjects and it was bounce, yes. bouncy music, which, which, like you say, it totally changed in the 90s. For some reason, it was all, it just went dirgy and everything had to be depressing. And it was yeah. just, what's going Either on? Either that or you, you talked over a drum beat or you took someone else's song and did your version of it. Yeah, and it, it was like, there was, what, what happened to originality, you know? But anyway. Exactly. Well, after you won Eurovision, I mean, Buck's Fizz went huge. And, well, you, you had three number ones in the UK. And yeah. when we announced that we were going to be talking to you, the the main thing that we got back as far as favourite singles go was not making your mind up. The majority of the favourites was the land of make-believe. It was a bigger seller as well. Mm-hmm. It was the bigger, not not worldwide. It wasn't the biggest seller, but in the UK, it was the biggest seller. It sold just a few thousand under a million. If it had just a few more thousand, it was nine hundred eighty-seven thousand or something. Oh. Just a few more, and we'd have got the the platinum disc for that. Now I don't I don't know how you how many you have to sell now to go platinum, but then it was a million records. But it was a big big hit across the world as well, Australasia and and across Europe. It was. Um, it was really big, so as was most of those early songs. What on earth was it like to be touring the world then and having oh. you know everybody screaming at you and, and to be? It was it was amazing, and we flew everywhere first class. We were picked up in limousines. I didn't know; none of us knew at the time. But they just take all that cost out of your royalties, yeah. so you pay for it yourself. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It was just <laughs> the most amazing um, experience. And to be in my second floor council flat in Bethnal Green, to have a limousine come and pick me up, you know, and to have gold discs on the wall, because we still lived in the council flat. <laughs> um, yeah, I lived there for about three years. So we'd had all the three number ones, and we'd had um, top-selling albums, and we'd sold out on all of our tours, and I still lived in the council flat <laughs> with my <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> But it was it was fantastic, and the countries that we saw when you know I got the opportunity to go to Australia and see my brother who's lived there by that time for years and still does it. Happens. 
um, and we went to places like Brazil and Chile and Japan and the Philippines and places that you just don't go to. Yeah. You know, if you have a holiday, you don't go to those places because they're just, or certainly didn't in the 80s, it was just too far flung mm-hmm. or too expensive. You know, it was something that you didn't even look at because it was out of your reach. And here was I flying to all these places and not having to pay for it and getting the <laughs> first class and it was just fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. We got to Australia, they painted up a bus with boxes all over it and it was just and my brother Colin was so incredibly proud of me, you know. As I you know, I I was so thrilled. It was it was a fantastic time. Had you got I mean, I know you played so many gigs over the years that, you know, sticking to the 80s for now, though, had you got had you got one particular gig that stood out above any other? Um, gig, yes, probably when we did, I don't know if it was a week or a fortnight at the um, Victoria Apollo coming up to Christmas. I think the last gig was Christmas Eve. Um, and my brother had flown over from Australia with his wife and all my family were there. And to do that, that concert in that lovely theatre and to do to be there for you know several days as opposed to one you know and for it to be packed and because Christmas is my favourite time of the year Mm. mum and dad got married on Christmas day it's very special to me and so to be celebrating in a wonderful London theatre for all my family to be there and for my brother Colin to see the reaction of the British um, fans how we you know how we were idolised in the UK um, that was probably uh, a really one of the really special gigs, I think. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. And now th- this next thing, I'm, I don't want to dwell on the next bit too long, but I want to bring it up. And uh, one reason I want to bring it up is because it leads on to something positive that's happened in your life as well. You're but talk again, about coach crash, aren't you? yeah, this this is another thing that I remember vividly happening, and and I was I was horrified, at it, like everybody was, and that must have been such a terrible time. How old were you? I was in 84, I would have been 19. Okay, okay. But did you like Bucksbys then? I did, yeah. I like. I used. I was. I first got into Eurovision when ABBA won it, and then I okay, watched. I watched it religiously. Yeah, yeah. It's I just. Did. It's at 19. Often, um, sort of teenagers are kind of they've grown out of the Bucksbys phase, sort of thing. But, um, but I'm glad. It's. It was. Uh, it was the one thing that obviously in our, in our career we would change obviously Mm. you know it was it was so um destructive because not only was mike incredibly ill because of it but jay left it was just it was at a time when you're flying for something like that to hit you and that literally it was you know we collided with a with a lorry we were We'd done the most fantastic gig at the Newcastle City Hall. And I was, at that time, I was filming my very first series, which was um, uh, How Dare You, mm-hmm. my first television series ever. Yeah. And, and it was the last program was going to be recorded the next day. So I would have been presenting it. Uh, it was done from Newcastle, so it was fortunate. You know, we had the gig in Newcastle. And, um, and Bucksfield were going to be appearing in it. And so that night the night before, the 11th of December, um, we did the gig and the whole crew and and the team from um, How Dare You had come to see the show. They came backstage afterwards. We cracked open a few bottles, 
had a few glasses. It was just wonderful. It was, it was nearly Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was, was in high spirits. We were staying in a fantastic hotel, the Gosford Park, um, which was probably 10, 11 minutes away from the, from the venue. And we boarded our, our coach and there was all the fans there and we signed a few autographs and we got on board and it was, we were all so incredibly happy. Um, and I was sitting down and Mike went, we were driving now, we had our, our driver was Pete Black, always the same driver. And Mike went to the front to pick up some Ferrero Rocher or some flakes or something that someone had thrown at him on the stage. And they'd gone. And he said to Pete, have you eaten my chocolates? And Pete went, Cheryl, come down here. That Daddy Nolan, he's blaming me for, for nicking his sweets. I didn't take him, did I? So I walked <laughs> to the front of the coach, and that's all I remember. Wow. All I remember after that is being woken up and I was laying in the road. I had no idea, and still don't to this day, what had happened. Um, and Mike's exactly the same. Mike and I both went through the windscreen, um, and as did the driver, and as did our, uh, our uh, guitarist, Steve Laurie. So Steve was all right. He stood and walked back. He had, you know, he was obviously very bloody, but he was okay. Mm. Uh, but I'd, I somehow, I'd broken vertebrae in my spine, so I was pretty, I couldn't, couldn't move. Um, and Mike, uh, you know, if you go through a windscreen, you're going to hit your head. There's no yeah. way you're going to get away with it, you know. So maybe he hit his head when he hit the road, I don't know. Um, but the pair of us, our hair, it was as if someone had backcombed it with blood and glass. Oh, and so that's the only way I can, I can explain it. Um, and the next morning, because I'd broken my vertebrae, I couldn't, I couldn't um, move, I couldn't walk or anything. And I had this cage over me, lifting the sheet away from me because I all the flesh from my left side was gone as well, from my left leg. And um, and Mike came in to see me. He came in in the little cubicle that I was at. And I, I said to him, well, Mike, when I saw his hair, all boot bonded out with blood and glass, I said, if your fans could see you now. <laughs> and he went, oh, sure, don't let me laugh. He said, I've got such a terrible headache. And that they won't give me any tablets. And that night, he slipped into a coma and had a blood clot on the brain removed and was given the last rites. And, you know, it was so touch and go. It was more go than than not. It was more like he was going to die. And the next day, the the surgeon who had been looking after me came in and he said, did you hear the kerfuffle in the night? And I didn't. I didn't hear it. It was, we were both, a bit spacey, you know, at, at that point. And they kept coming into me and every 15 minutes checking my eyes, checking my pupils and everything. Uh, but he came in and he said, did you hear the kerfuffle? And I said, well, no, not really. And he said, your, your friend Mike has been taken very badly, I'm afraid. It, it, it's not looking good. And I went, oh, it'd be all right. It'd be all right. Because I was away with the fairies. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of the gravity of what he was saying to me. Um, and it was only about three days later, someone brought me in a paper and his picture was on the front page, you know, Mike Nolan uh, on life support. And and that hit me like a ton of bricks. Just made me, and I cried and wept because I realised that he could die. Oh, yeah, that's awful. It was a terrible time. It was a terrible time. And it took him months and months to get himself back together. 
And in that time, Jay Aston decided that she was going to leave the band. So it was, um, that was a double whammy, you know. It was, oh, yeah. Personally and professionally, it was a terrible time. Yeah. Uh, as Dave said uh, just before, that it did, the one positive that came out of it is that you helped to set up Head First, um, which deals with yeah. crash victims, um, especially with head injuries. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it was the surgeon who was uh, overseeing Mike's operation. His name was Anthony Strong. And we just said, what can we do to thank you? You've saved his life. And he, they definitely saved his life. He would not be here now. There's no question about that. And um, he said, we don't know enough about the brain. We know that there are things that have to be done to stop that his, his blood clot could have been prevented. But mm. you've got to find out how, basically. And... And so he said, we need, we need to set up a research charity so that we can look into um, defects of the brain more intently and, and, and find out how we can avoid things like this that's happened to Mike. So we set up, the first charity was called the Mike Nolan Brain Damage Research and Equipment Fund, which you can't sit onto a check, as we found out. And, <laughs> and we, we joined forces with another guy who'd had... Um, a similar sort of thing happened to him, um, George Pettifer, who was a lieutenant colonel in the uh, in the Royal Fusiliers. Um, and so me, Anthony Strong, and George Pettifer formed Head First. And we still, I'm still, a, we're still trustees, all three of us, and we still raise money for Head First. And we we fund um, a research laboratory at King's College Hospital in in South East London. Um, and so we we pay the wages of the of the researchers. We buy the equipment, um, and and we're looking into ways to you know for people who've had stroke, for people who've had a head injury like Mike had, for people who've had tumours or you know any any brain um, trauma. Basically, we we try and find ways of of alleviating it or preventing it. Yeah. What we'll do as well is uh, on the podcast notes on our website for this uh, episode, we'll put a link to Head First as well. So That'd if anybody, be great. Thank yeah, you. anybody can donate and help with the worthy cause. You know, please do. You know, it's a it's something that's definitely worth supporting. That'd be amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, you mentioned as well. Okay, let, let's. I'm going to come back to music briefly in a minute. But you mentioned about your TV show and you'd done. How dare you? What was what was it like then? The first time you were in a TV studio and. You're on a TV programme. Here's another step in your life. You've gone from music and now you're on television. When we were interviewed as Bucks Fizz, I was always the gobby one. I was. I know that. <laughs> I tried not to be. But uh, in particular, Jay and Mike, uh, sorry, Jay and Bobby were very reticent to, to speak. Uh, and so it gave me an opportunity. You know, I would wait for them. And when they didn't say anything, I would just jump in. And, and so I was the one that did most of the chatting. And that's probably why I was asked to do How Dare You. Um, but when I went for my screen test, I, I did some auto cue and I did a few silly games because it was a children's show. And then they said, now we want you to talk for two minutes. And I said, what about? And they said, just look at the camera and talk for two minutes. And that is really hard. Mm-hmm. That is really, really hard. And I don't think I've managed it. I think I went into a giggle, giggling heat. <laughs> and, you know, but fortunately, they still took me on. And that led to other things. I loved doing How Dare You. When I look back on footage of it now, I realise how amateurish I was. <laughs> but it kind of worked because it was a children's programme. And after that, I was asked to do um, a programme with Michael Aspel, which was on only in the London weekend television area, as it was then. 
And then I was asked to do, um, I think, Saturday Picture Show with Mark Yes, Curry. yeah. And then I was asked to do this, 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 this. And think it just escalated. I was not off the television <laughs> until 1998. Every, I was, you know, there was something. In 1997, I was on TV six days a week. Presenting. Wow. Oh. Yeah. It was nuts. That must have been nuts. exhausting. It was overkill, but in this industry, it's very difficult to say no because you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, mm. I've got to ask you though this because I was, I was always a huge fan of record breakers since well, since it began in the early seventies with, with mm. those uh, like Ross and Norris McWhorter, and like Roy Castle is like has always been like an absolute hero <laughs> to me. And Tom yeah. as well. I mean, Tom, you remember you said didn't you watching record breakers as well? Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. What, what what was Roy like, you know, to, to oh, work with? Listen, I was like you. I was in awe of the man. He, he was he was a hero to me. And not only re- presenting record breakers, but the fact that he was such a great actor and singer yeah. and musician and such an all rounder with this iconic television program, Record Breakers, that he was, you know, he started. Um, and they asked BBC rang me and said, "Will I go up and for and consider being the girl?" His Girl Friday sort of thing. I couldn't believe it. And <laughs> I got there and we had to go to the executive producer's office. And um, the exec producer was there, the director, the producer, and um, the great man was there himself, you know. And, um, and I was I was completely in awe of him. I didn't know what to say. I, You know, this, <laughs> this is Roy Castle, for goodness sake, <laughs> you know. Um, and he was absolutely wonderful with me he never ever in all the years I worked with him he never made me feel inferior mm-hmm. and I was most certainly I was certainly in the television presenting thing I was but he never made me feel it he was always um really helpful always had time for me um that I can't sing his praises enough he was just a fantastic man he was hilariously funny he had great wit mm-hmm. he was very open he would talk about his life and the reason that he was like he was. Um, um, I loved him. I absolutely loved him. And I was so devastated when he died. And we all knew that he was dying when he, when he had the lung cancer, but you just think a miracle is going to happen because how can this man die? He's just, he's one of the good guys, you know, he, um, he came to see me when I had my babies. Um, I was in hospital. One of them was very poorly. She was in, intensive care and it was the day that she came out of intensive care and there was a knock on my door at the hospital and I opened it and it was Roy and he was completely bald because of the chemo he was bloated because of the chemo and he must have been in an awful lot of pain mm-hmm. and I went Roy and I was tears in my eyes he was there with Fiona his lovely wife and I went oh Roy how are you and he said never mind me I'm not the important one here. How are those babies? <laughs> and that epitomizes what Roy Carter was like. Oh, it was yeah. never about him. It was always about you. He, he had time for you. Um, and he, he always made you feel equal, even though you knew you weren't. <laughs> 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 it was a joy, an absolute joy. That's it, because there's something that, you know, no matter how people cast television shows or films, no matter what it might be, it's it's rare that you get a good chemistry that's, like, tangible when you watch it. And I remember watching Record Breakers, and you could tell the chemistry between you and Roy, it just worked, and it just made the show all that much better, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was lovely to work with. He was, it was, 
he was lovely to work with. I, I don't know, I can't praise him enough. And he was, he was funny. I mean, I, I've said all this already, but we would stand at the back of the studio with someone trying to break a record and then we'd be going, go on, go on, you can do it. And he'd whisper to me, they're never going to do it. They're never going to do it. And so it was lovely to get a size, you know, that, that he would give you. And, and or it, 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 tell you a joke when you've got like five minutes in between scenes and things it's it was great and we did um we did a lovely trip across america um from the east to the west coast and we did a lot of you know stuff together it was it was great it wasn't just in the studio it was the in-between filming that we did that was probably the best fun yeah good times definitely good times they were good times yeah now, I know you've got a new single coming out in just a few weeks, but first I want to touch on, uh, you had a couple of solo singles. Your first was in the 80s as well, um, If Paradise is Half as Nice in 87. Yeah, I said to Andy Hill, who wrote Making the Mind Up and practically all of our hits, I said to him, I think If Paradise is Half as Nice would be a really good Buck Spears single. And somehow it turned into my single. So, but, you know, it was a, it was a massive flop. So that was fine. <laughs> I did some TVs with it and everything. It was... It was nice, but I'm not a solo singer. I don't pretend to be. I never have. I love singing harmony. Yeah. I, I don't particularly... My ego allows me to stand at the front and sing every now and again, but I'm not <laughs> that fond of it, to be honest. And what what was it like being on This Is Your Life? That must have been so... Oh, I don't know. I can imagine what... An adrenaline rush, because, again, that was a show where you watched it at the start. You had no idea of who it was going to be. No, and I had no idea. And I'm very astute. I can't believe that they organised it without me finding anything out. Um, and it was my dad's favourite programme at the time. And he would see it. He was very Victorian, my dad. He was. Um, he would. He would march to work, and he'd sit on his seat, and it was. He was very regimented. And the one time when he let his guard down every week was when he watched. This is your life, and he would always cry. Not that you could see him crying, but we all knew that he was. And he'd, uh, you know, he'd do that funny little cough where you're trying to stifle his sob, <laughs> and, uh, and he'd wipe his eyes under his glasses. And I thought, oh, you know what? He is a softie. You know, he puts on this big, hard, brave front, but he's just softy, really. And so when they did This Is Your Life for me, the, my first thought was my dad. Because for my dad, it would have meant his daughter had really made it because she's been recognised on this programme that was his favourite. You know? Oh, yeah. So it was, and he was really poorly at the time. Um, it was 97 and he died in 99. He was, it, he was really poorly and very weak. Um, and so I was so happy. I'm so happy that they did it for me. Oh, that's it was, lovely. It was an amazing experience. I did want it to happen. And in 1995 or six or something, I wrote a list and I gave it to a guy called Tony McGrogan who used to look after us in um, in the Bucks' days. Uh, I gave it to him and said, Tony, if ever they do This Is Your Life on me, this is who I want to be there. So, mm-hmm. And they kept that list. And on the night of This Is Your Life, they gave it to me, framed. <laughs> <laughs> Because is it true that if you find out that you're going to be on, that they cancel it? Yeah, apparently so. Apparently oh. so. Wow. They should still do it. It's just a great programme. Oh, yeah. It's such great television. You know, it's, to see these people that are stars 
of celebrities and to see their real their real life and to see their emotion and everything. It was such a lovely program and I'm absolutely thrilled. I've still got the the book and everything. You know, it's it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Where do you keep the book? It's actually in a cupboard. <laughs> I'm facing the cupboard right now. It's in my office, you know, but, and, and the book isn't, there's no writing in it. There's just isn't photos. There? Oh. There's photos of all the people that are in the, on the programme. Yeah. But, um, and the script, rather stupidly, I sold the script for charity um, at, a, at a charity auction. I really wish I hadn't because, um, you know, the script, I don't know who bought it and they probably... They probably lit the fire with it that evening, but oh, no. it was a bit too precious, really, for me to to give away. Yeah. It was for a television program, but there you go. Oh no! Hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've you've well for quite a few years now. You've been into theatre, haven't you? You've done a lot of theatre productions. Yeah, it's not because I love it. It's because it's offered at the right time. If it's you know, as I said earlier, the, this business is very precarious. You never really know. Sometimes you take a job just because it's a job, not because you really want to do it. And I am not a theatre lover. I'm not. I'm I'm a singer in a band, and that's what I adore doing. You put me on stage with Mike and Jay, and now we have a fourth person with us, Stephen mm-hmm. Fox. Um, so we go out of four now. Um, you put me on stage with them, and I am in my happiest place ever. But you put me on stage as I've just finished Happy Days the Musical. I died every night. I died inside, <laughs> and before every single scene, I would be going over my lines and over my cues and over my songs. And it was only when uh, I did my last scene with Ben Freeman, um, who was playing the Fonz, and I was playing Marion Cunningham. I did my last scene with him that I could actually relax and then enjoy the the sort of yeah. the final of the of the show. And it, and I got fantastic reviews everywhere we went. I had the most amazing reviews. Uh, and I don't know how, because if they'd have known what I felt like inside, <laughs> internally, they'd have said, this poor girl, she should not be doing this show. <laughs> but I did it because it was a job. It was a weekly wage for six months. It's very difficult to turn that down. Yeah. Mm. Am I right in saying as well you directed a youth production of Footloose? Oh, I've done lots of them. I'm doing it again this year. I was going to, because I was going to say, is that is that another branch that you'd like to go with your career doing something like no, that? No, no, I wouldn't do it professionally, but I do do it with the um, with the, I, I'm, the girl, the woman who uh, runs is Bullfrog Productions, it's called, and the woman who runs it is Jill Shirley and or Jill McGrogan now, and she used to manage us. She managed Bucks Biz. I'm mm. godmother to her children. You know, it's, I'm still very close with Jill. She married Tony McGrogan, who I said. Um, you know, I mentioned him earlier. We're all very, very close, even now. And and I help her out. I've done Fame, West Side Story, Les Mis, Yes, Footloose, and we're doing Footloose again. Um, what else have I done? I can't think. But anyway, um, it, it, I love it. I love it. That's but good. I couldn't. I couldn't do it for a living. <laughs> too much pressure. It really is. There's too much pressure. Because the buck stops at the director. Yeah, true. I, I mentioned earlier about, about your single that's out on August the 4th. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> I can tell you nothing about oh, this. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I knew nothing about it. I just saw it. Someone, I think it was on a, it was a Facebook message or something saying, can't wait for the single. 
honestly, I don't even know. Maybe it was done by Dean Murphy, who's done an awful lot of um, Buxley's tracks recently. They've released a lot of albums and, and you know, redone them and extended and whatever. And maybe he's responsible for this. But actually, I don't know. Uh, how funny is that? It was, it was recorded as a Buxley's track, I think. I don't even know if it was on an album. Skin on Skin it is, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't see anything about it because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, I, I know uh, I had a single release with that big close-up of my face once, and that was not Skin on Skin. It was, um, it was another song, I can't remember. Mm. Um, and it was just had the name Cheryl. Because they didn't want, they thought that Cheryl Baker was would be the kiss of death. Because it was, I was oh, too no. long, you know, it was in the 1990s, and I was too old in a way. Um, but this one, I think, is by Cheryl Baker, isn't it? Yes. Maybe now I'm so old that nobody will know who Cheryl Baker is, <laughs> oh, and they'll no. think that I'm some young, <laughs> you know, 22 year old with this funky <laughs> song called Skin on Skin. <laughs> It's not going to do anything, let's be honest. It doesn't matter, though. It's nice, you know. Oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. It's nice that it's going to be there. Well, I've got something to tell you because Tina, who's my other half, and she does a lot of work with the podcast as well, she's insisted that I tell you that um, she's she's always thought and that you still are such a very positive role model for women, for all sorts of women. And um, one thing as well, like she suffered um, a, a little bit of backlash about her weight during the years as well. And of course, it's been documented about your weight during the years. Oh, well. it fluctuates. I'm it must be so slightly awful to overweight be in, in... now. I need to lose some, I need, probably need to lose a stone, actually. But it's got to be so awful in the media spotlight and the way that they concentrate on just stupid things like that. It's got, yeah, know. I know. I know. It never used to be so bad, but it is now. I mean, it's all about how fat you are, how rich you are, you know, how many drugs you take, how young you are when you have your children, all this. It's, it's life has changed, not necessarily for the better, but mm. that doesn't matter really, because life has changed and you have to change with it. Yeah. Um, or you have to accept, you know, that this is the way it is. Uh, we as the culture now of being a celebrity because you are a celebrity, because people know you, not because you're good at anything. Mm. I hate that. I think it's just oh, awful. Yeah. But that's what's happened, and I can't stop it. And I can't say it's wrong because if people want to, um, they want to be glued to Kim Kardashian, and they, mm. but they don't actually know why. Um, <laughs> it, so be it. You know, yeah. who am I to? And and with the weight thing, you know, it's always you get the pictures, the front page of Heat and um, um, I can't think of any others. Um, Closer and all the, all of those kind of magazines, the front page is always who's skinny, who's too skinny, who's put on weight, who's looking terrible with no makeup on. I mean, it's just horrible. They love all that candid stuff. And oh, yeah. I, I prefer the sort of okay and hello um, view of just making everyone look lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because it, it does seem to like society's gone like so shallow as, yeah. as the years have gone on. I went to B&Q tonight. That's why I was late talking to you. I went to B&Q with my husband to go and buy some to, to buy some flooring mm-hmm. and um, I said to Steve he went come I went I can't put my face on <laughs> and I, thought, I can't walk out of the door without because all day today I even I even earlier on we were, we've been doing some decorating and stuff and I said it's so lovely not to have to put my makeup on 
But to go to B and Q, I had to put it on. Oh no! <laughs> Not because of paparazzi, no one's going to follow me, but just because I don't want people to see me looking, you know, looking like a like a I'm, sack of poo. Oh, I'm sure you never look like a sack of poo. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure all the listeners will agree with me on that one, definitely. <laughs> well, listen, Cheryl, all the listeners today, I'm, I'm sure I've had such a fantastic time as, as we have. And we, well, we just mentioned about, you know, all the, the online kind of stuff. Where, where are the best places that uh, people can find and follow you online? Well, the band now has to be called Formerly Off Buxes because mm. um, we, we lost the right to use the trademark. Um, the trademark is owned by Bobby G's wife who was in primary school when we run the Song for Europe. So I feel a bit bitter about that, actually, I'll be mm. honest. Um, but we go out as Cheryl, Mike and Jay, formerly off Buck's Beers. Um, maybe, you know, maybe in the future that might change, but that's how it is at the moment. And we have we have a fans um, Facebook page, which is, you know, Cheryl, Mike and Jay, formerly off Buck's Beers fan page. Mm. And we have our website, which is the same. Um, and we've... we've Fortunately, we've had a few nice little meetings lately with um, agents and bookers and promoters. And so I think there's going to be an awful lot more, especially now that we've got a fourth person in the band. I won't call him a member because yeah. he's not... We can't call ourselves formally of Bucks Fuse if one of them, you know, isn't. Yeah. So um, so it's Cheryl, Mike and Jay with special guest Stephen Fox. And, and he's proved at the moment, you know, we've only done three gigs with him, but he's proved to be great. And so... Um, you can have a look on YouTube and see what we've been doing lately. But we've got a lot more gigs going in the book. And they're nice, prestigious gigs, you know, some festivals, some theatre gigs and some gigs abroad. So mm-hmm. it's looking good. It's looking good for the band. And that's where my heart is. Oh, well, that's good. And again, on again on the, the website for the for notes for this show, we'll put uh, a list of gigs that you've got and add to it as well. So if people want to go and see you, they'll, yeah. they'll know where you are and when you're going you're gonna to be there. Yeah, we need to update it, actually, because there's, but you can't update it until they're confirmed. But also, yeah. you know, I've got my own Facebook fan page or my Cheryl Baker page. You know, just look me up. Yeah. I'm around. <laughs> and your Twitter pages, you know, we're, we're testament to that you do. You do chat to people as well on there. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, I like Twitter. I like Twitter because it's short. You don't yes. have to go into detail with things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I think uh, we found it's it's been a place, hasn't it, Tom, where uh, it, it's really good, you know, to get the chance to swap messages with you. And, you know, if it leads on to something like this, all well and good, you know, we love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, exactly. Even it, it's just nice, you know, even if you just get a reply from somebody that you're a fan of, it, it makes a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Cheryl, thank you so much for your time, and it's been... It's been a pleasure. There's an album, apparently, of uh, a, a Bucks Biz album coming out. Is there now? Or is it out now? Yeah. Yeah, it must be out now. It's Rarities and Remixes, it's called. Oh. And I haven't listened to it yet. Have you, right, again, I'll put a link up to that as well. Yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you've, you've been as bubbly and as entertaining as like, every time I've seen you. And as long-winded. Tell, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, th- and again, keep us updated with everything you, you do. You know, we'll happily help promote everything. You know, that's lovely. Thank you. Well, look out. I mean, I, I do, I do try and promote stuff on Twitter. So, if ever you see anything, just send me any uh, an IM or something where I can, you know, just remind me because I will forget. I do forget. I forget an <laughs> awful lot. I do. Oh, trust it's not age. It's just you know. 
that's just the way I am. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely remind you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's, it's been pleasure. fantastic. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Tom, Cheryl Baker, what a great guest. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and this, you know, for the listeners that may be new to this, maybe this is the first show that you've listened to. Um, I don't mind admitting there's a slight age difference between myself and Tom. Yes, uh, yes I'm, uh, I'm 31 and Dave is in 80. Two da- <laughs> 80, how dare you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> At time of recording, I will be. it's my birthday in two days. I'll be 49. So, you know, I remember, like, she was on about, you know, like the horrific car crash and stuff, and uh, you know, when she won Eurovision when, and Bucks Fizz and all of this. Uh, and we talked before the show, didn't we? And you know, we've got, like, shared memories of things like record breakers and that. Yeah, record breakers, in fact, was um, I knew, it's funny, actually, I knew Cheryl Baker and record breakers, and I loved record breakers as a kid. And mm. I knew of Bucks Fizz, but I had no idea she was in Bucks Fizz. That's weird. I mean, it's, it's shows, funny what it? you what you know. Well, you're growing up, Bucks Fizz was a bit before my time, but Record Breakers mm. was bang on it. And uh, yeah, didn't have a clue till years later. <laughs> That's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's oh, they probably me... referenced it on the show all the time, but it probably never sunk in. I just wanted to see <laughs> like, a guy pick up something really heavy. <laughs> so... <laughs> record break. Oh, Record Breakers in Roy Castle, absolutely fantastic. Oh, Roy Castle, what a legend! Oh yeah, legend. absolutely. Uh, as I said with Eurovision, like you know when. Uh when ABBA won was the first one I remember vividly mm-hmm. and I just watched it like religiously after that it was you know I was I was hooked on it and then when Bucks Fizz won it was like yes we got, we got a British winner and then they did you know we talked about it with it they did so well and they got the three number ones and the fact you know that she's still really busy now it's so good and yeah. the fact like you know for the third time I'm gonna say it um we've been so, well we've been so lucky you know people that we you know we've um either grown up with or in retrospect we found the careers afterwards and we've loved the work that they've done and you know we're lucky enough to get the chance to talk to them and then when there's such an absolute pleasure when you talk to them as well it just makes it so much better oh without a doubt without a doubt it does oh well with thanks again to cheryl uh, it just leaves you tom to let the listeners know how they can find and follow what we do online yes of course as there uh, could be some first time listeners our website is 80s picture house .co.uk. Our email is contact at 80spicturehouse.co.uk. Alternatively, on the website, there's a contact us link where you can fill out a new email there. Um, our Twitter is at 80spicturehouse. That's 80s picturehouse. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash 80spicturehouse. And if you enjoyed this interview, um, please, if you could take a couple of minutes to leave us a review on iTunes, um, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so all that remains now is uh, to thank you for listening. Uh, please keep a, an eye on the website that Tom's give you the details of, as we're always very busy with these in conversation with regular shows, looking back at shows. There's a lot happening there, mm-hmm. as well as uh, music and movie reviews that we do. So please take a few yes. minutes to have a look on there. We'd appreciate that. Uh, and we'll be back again very, very soon with yet another show. One of the hot favourites indeed is Making Your Mind Up from Bucks Fizz for Britain. The group was specially formed for the Eurovision Song Contest and consists of Jay Aston, Cheryl Baker, Bobby G and Michael Nolan. Michael is one of five brothers born in Dublin. His mother comes from Cork and he's been singing in pubs and clubs before turning professional in 1977. Cheryl has an Irish grandmother and 
was a member of Coco, who sang for Britain in 1978. The song was written by Andy Hale and John Danter. Andy is a session musician and has had his songs recorded by Cliff Richard and her own Johnny Logan. And John Danter is also a session musician and he tells me that he collects old broken down cars in his spare time. The conductor is a man who has worked with international stars like Frank Sinatra, Three Degrees, Dana and Shirley Bassett. His name, John Coleman. For Britain, it's Bucks Fizz, making your mind up. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the 80s Picture House and a short minisode, only the second one we've ever done. And of course, I am joined, as always, all the way from Norwich by my co-host, Tom. Hello, I'm Tom. Hello. You weren't expecting to record today, were you? <laughs> no, it was halfway through a film. <laughs> Neither was I. Just to draw back the curtain a little bit, I've been sat at home and I've been doing some work, prepping for next week, and I found what I thought was lost audio, sadly thought was lost audio, which was going back to June the 17th of this year at the Brindley in Runcorn when I went to see Bucks Fizz, and I got the chance to interview them for 10 minutes backstage. So I found it and we're releasing it out as a little a little mini-sode for you all. A little taste of fizz for everybody out there. Okay. Because, yeah, because we're like that. We're kind like that, aren't we? Even though they thought it was lost, we still, we still hand it out. Uh, we'll take this opportunity as well, mate, just to give people an update. Um, because it, and it is, I said before, <coughs> it's bloody hell, mate. Jesus. <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you're well. Yes, well, I'm just uh, getting over the flu, but other than that, I'm good. Oh, good. That's all right. I mean, oh, we haven't, we haven't spoken for a while, have we, so? I should sit with my mute clicker ready to go. You should. <laughs> I've got nothing to say. I'm not like my no. heavily scripted <laughs> jokes. <laughs> well, what we will say, though, is... Um, I, I was explaining that, as always. It's my fault, I hold my hand up. It's always my fault. This time of the year, we sort of go off the radar a little bit as far as recording goes. Uh, but to get everybody up to speed, um, A, thank you for staying there. Subscribe to us. Uh, and B, we've got what will probably be a late Halloween show coming. Um, we've got... And this is but between now and the end of the year. We'll have the Halloween show. Uh, we're going to squeeze in another regular format show. Uh, we're going to do a Samurai Cop 2 special and then we've got a whole series of Christmas shows coming over the Christmas period so between now and the end of the year there's a lot of shows coming at you so uh, thank you for my patience and I, I do hold my hand up and it's my fault that we're not on as often as we would like yeah, sorry uh, <laughs> until then, settle back, settle back uh, sit down and uh, yeah, enjoy Bucks Fizz for about the next 10 minutes and we'll be back and Tom, hopefully, if he doesn't die between now and then he will be doing the housekeeping for you all Right, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to sit here with you. Um, how's the tour going so far is the first question. It's very really good. Yeah. I was going to answer that. Why do you answer all my questions for me? It's, it's very good. It's been an absolutely fantastic tour so far. Yeah? Bit yeah. rubbish. <laughs> this, is, this is your biggest one as well since the 80s, isn't it? So what, what's it like to be back doing a really big tour? Is it, well, what's the difference between now and the 80s? Less pressure, more fun. Yeah. 30 years. <laughs> mm, it's good fun. It is... We don't worry about the errors of the three make because I don't make any on stage at all. Um, so they make them all, but I cover them up all the time. So it's a good show. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you go about picking the set list then? Because you've got so much to choose from. You? All the hits. Yeah. And then there's some firm favourites that were going to be 
singles that the fans love. Uh, there's a lot of things that were nearly singles, so there. So we've got some album tracks as well. We do so put it on the fan page, mm-hmm. our fan club page, and we asked them, "Is there anything in particular?" We did a sort of a survey, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. So there's a couple of tracks in there that are especially for the fans, and I think they recognise which ones yeah. they are. They yeah. put in, yeah. yeah. The first one, the number one one, was um, <coughs> "Say the Kisses for Me," Figaro. <laughs> And because you've been going so long as well, I mean, I've just been talking to a couple of fans outside that have been following you across the, across the country. Yeah, the mother and daughter. Yeah, and they've seen you like literally into three figures over, over the years. I mean, it must be fantastic to have a fan base like that that's still following you now. It is incredible. It is amazing. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, they make it happen for us. If they didn't buy the tickets, <laughs> the tour wouldn't go ahead. So we have got some brilliant fans, and it, and it's just amazing. Did you really think back in 1981 that you'd be sat here today, doing no. the shows? No. Did we what do anything no. in 1980? Back in 1981, did you think? Oh right. You'd be here in 2015. Oh. Yes, I would have been here, actually, yeah, I would have. <laughs> 1981 is the one that did it for us all, though, wasn't it, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it was what we call a good year for us, definitely. <laughs> Had we not won, I doubt we'd have been together six months later. Really, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I think we would have. Put together for that show, and because right. we won, then we had a future, and if, we hadn't, if we'd come second, it, wouldn't, it just wouldn't have, made, wouldn't have made it happen. You must have been nervous that night, surely, though, going on such a world stage. Yeah, yeah. usually hugely yeah. nervous. Yeah. Do you still get nervous now? Is it? Yeah, I do. Occasionally. Yeah. Usually when we put something new in or something we haven't done for thirty years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Occasionally, but it's it's all fun. Yeah. It's a lot more relaxed and enjoyable these days than back in the day because we were so busy with our schedule. We would be like flying here, there and everywhere and then we'd have to fly back to the studio to do the next single and you always had to promote the next single mm-hmm. so we'd do all the radio and TV and so when it came to tour time it was quite a lot to do because it was all new and fresh you know, we hadn't done that at that level before and now it's like an old pair of shoes that fit ever so well Because <laughs> I was going to say the pressure that was on you back in the 80s was just, it was huge wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, was you just, you, it seemed as though you just pull, pulled from pillar to post all the time. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's so much more enjoyable now because we've done it because we've chosen to, not because we have to. Yeah. And it's uh, it's been the reaction has been phenomenal, from, you know, from not just from fans but from people that haven't seen us for decades and think, oh, Bucks Fizzle appearing appearing tonight, and formally off, sorry. And, um, uh, you know, and they come out of curiosity. Usually at the beginning of the show, I say, who, who hasn't seen us for 30-odd years? And you'd be surprised how many hands go up. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what's lovely, the fact that, you know, they're, and, and the reaction from them is tremendous. That must be great to yeah, have that. Is. Yeah, all the new fans that are coming in all the time. Mm. Coventry yeah. was up, I'd say about two thirds of the audience put their hands up. Yeah, yeah, the so majority amazing. haven't seen us for thirty years. Yeah, so it's over fifty percent. Yeah, every night. And of course, it's different now because you've got families as well. I believe you t- you've got daughters' birthdays coming up soon. Yeah, well, Saturday. Is it this Saturday? Yeah. yeah. Well, you've yeah. got a very special one. Yeah, mine will be twenty-one. Oh, and you're playing that night as well, aren't you? We're playing that day. Oh. We're at uh, Let's Rock Leeds, and we're first on because we said <laughs> would it be okay if we go on early because our children. Yeah. We've both got birthdays, and um, so we're first on. So we should be home 
early evening. Good. Yeah. You're not going to miss it then. No, <laughs> no we would be in bad books if that was the case. Do you all still watch the Eurovision as well? Yeah, we watch it. We watch it Saturday night. Actually. Yeah, we watch it all together. At the, um, we do a show in London, and um, we were in a, a, a hotel. We were for the whole afternoon, and we watched the whole, all the contests in there. Yeah. And that's the first time I, for me personally, I sat through the whole thing in ages, and it was uh, it was very very good. I did. I thought the guy who won would win it anyway. Yeah. I thought it was a definite win. Can you usually tell because you've been on the inside of it? Have you got any idea of you think, oh, they might stand more of a chance than others? Um, to, well, some, to some degree, I think we all get quite close to the top five, don't we? It all yeah, becomes, you get, you see, yeah, there's the favourites, they don't change that much. Past couple of years. That's good. No, that's some good stuff there. Not a clue. Got, you've got some Eurovision history as well, haven't you, Bobby? With, yeah. yeah. Sweet Dreams, was Sweet it? Dreams, you've yeah. done your homework, well done. Yeah, so it's 83. You've done your homework very well. Thank you. <laughs> How many were in the band? Oh, my word, don't ask me. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a clue, between four and two. Oh, it could be three. Good one, you've Thank done all you. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were represented Britain in 83 and went to Germany, which was... Where did you come from? We, we, we came sixth. Which nowadays we would scream, that would, wouldn't we? That would get the flags out if the UK act game six. Yeah. <laughs> and we got more than 100 points, so nowadays the UK would love us more than yeah. 100 points. But, uh, we lost out to Luxembourg. We'd have more than 10 points. <laughs> <laughs> Germany would love one point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that song, shocked. Uh, the song the Germany did this Eurovision, I thought was really yeah. good, yeah. and they didn't get one point. Strange, isn't it? Mm. Political, I yeah. think. We've well, got this tour. This tour goes on until September. No, it's it's been extended. Has it been extended? Just, yeah, now, yeah, we've just taken some more dates, so Excellent. we're into it October now. Yeah, cool. and then we go to Germany, and then we're already booking for next year. So thirty fifth anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd like it to be so, a good year. For yeah, I was going to say, is there anything you'd like to do to celebrate thirty five years? Um, twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> No, we ought to think about that actually, what we should do for our anniversary. We should have a big party on that night. Yeah. Is it the 4th of April? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we should. Yeah. We should get one of the magazines to cover it. Yeah, we should. It's the 35th anniversary. What'd you get? I know what the 30th is. Yeah, that's a good question. What would it be for 35? Maybe you get two pearls. Why not? I don't know what it is. Google it. I think it's a windshield stamp. Forty is ruby, so and if thirty is pearl, it probably is some kind of stone yeah. or precious something. Whatever it is, you should ask for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just give me some of that. Well, I know you're really busy. I'm not going to keep you, and I know you're trying to recover from a chest infection too. Yeah. Um, but on behalf of all the fans and every eighties picture house, uh, every, I know everybody's so glad that you're still going and you're still touring. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to th- the upcoming dates on the tour. So thank, thank you for joining oh, us. And thank you for giving me some time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, there you go. Like we promised, uh, just a short 10-minute interview that I did a few months ago. Um, and Tom, if you want to round this off and do the housekeeping where people can find and follow us online. I certainly can. Our website is 80spicturehouse.co.uk. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash 80s Picture House. Twitter at 80s Picture House. Email contact at 80spicturehouse.co.uk. I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, Reddit, the 80s Picture House. 
as well. And please leave an iTunes review. That would be nice. I think we've been stuck at 25 for so long now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That's a bit a, of a while. A, a measly 25. Oh, well. Yeah, 25 for three plus years. <laughs> but like I said earlier, we will be back soon with uh, a longer, um, more substantial show. But uh, this this was audio that I'm glad that we found and we, we managed to get out there. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, thanks for subscribing. And we will be back before too long. We'll be back with a few shows next month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>